Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, it is Thursday, and we're here to deliver you all the news, and we have some great show for you today. In the studio, we have some common-sense Democrats and common-sense Republicans. We have, on the Democratic side, we have Judge Richard Weinberg and uh, Governor David Patterson. And on the Republican side, Ed Cox, New York State Chairman, and uh, Rita Cosby. What We have some great show today. By the, by the way, you got to stay on, because we've got some breaking news. Breaking news, WABC. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear John. Happy birthday to you. And, and wow. John, hang on. We've got an even bigger surprise. Because calling in right now is our friend, the Speaker of the House, who was in Japan for the G7 Speakers Meeting, the one and only Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Mr. Speaker, so great to have you on the special birthday show for the great John Katsimatidis. Wow. Well, I would not miss it. Happy birthday, John. Uh, thank you, you know, Mr. Speaker. He- in Congress, we have a special birthday song. I don't have a great voice, but I'm going to sing it to you. This is your birthday song. It doesn't last too long. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> now, you're in Japan. Now, don't drink the water. Isn't that, aren't they releasing all that radioactive water into the, into the uh, system? No, no, no. That, don't, don't believe the Chinese hype. They, okay. They've cleaned everything up. Everything's fine. I'm in Japan for a G7 meeting. I'm trying to get these countries to buy more of American natural gas. It'll make the world a safer place. If we just replace Russian natural gas in Europe for one year, we'd lower 218 million tons of CO2 emissions because American natural gas is cleaner. Create more jobs in America, make the world safer. It's all the things, the, the common sense stuff that you talk about, John. And so I would not miss your birthday. I'm glad I got to be a little part of it, and hopefully you have another 75 great years. Well, thank you, Kevin, and I'll meet you at 100. All right. <laughs> Kevin, thank you for calling in all the way from Japan. We love you, and, uh, and here's to Bakersfield, right? <laughs> here's to That's Bakersfield. Right, <laughs> thank you, my Take friend. Thank Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. And, thank you. and uh, talking about uh, uh, Alaska, uh, I had uh, uh, Senator Sullivan on, uh, f- uh, this afternoon, and we and we put together a, a, a show for Sunday, but I cut out uh, two and a half minutes. And uh, let's get uh, Senator Sullivan, Sullivan on for two and a half minutes. With us today is Senator Dan Sullivan from the great state of Alaska. Tell us what the heck is going on up in Alaska. Well, hey, John, thanks for having me on the show. It's always great to be on the show, and thanks for your leadership on so many of these issues. What's happening in Alaska? Well. To be honest, it's more of the same. The recent announcement by the Biden administration to pull back the valid leases that were already issued um, under the ANWR legislation that we got done during the Trump administration, mandating that there be two leases for 
the Anwar area, which has billions of barrels of oil. So they just canceled those. I mean, you want to talk about lawless. This should concern every American citizen. We are in this great battle against authoritarian aggression led by the dictators in China and in Moscow. One of our greatest strategic advantages over China, Xi Jinping and Russia, Putin, is our energy and our natural resources and our energy dominance. This administration, as you know from day one, wants to undermine this great American strength. And it's because they're beholden to far left radical environmental groups. And this is just another example. Going to hurt Alaska, but going to hurt America. If we opened up uh, oil in North America, the price of oil would come down to $65 instead of uh, it's pushing 90 now. And uh, what we're doing is we're making the American people poorer and making the OPEC nations and Russia richer. And uh, to me, it's not acceptable, but it is what it is. We're, you know, Washington is making decisions. Well, John, like I said, you're an expert on so many of these issues, particularly as it relates to energy. Your point is exactly right on. It makes our energy enemies richer, our citizens poorer. Venezuela, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, they don't have nearly the standards that we do when it comes to the production of American energy. We have the highest environmental standards. And by the way, the lowest emissions of any major producer in the world by far. This is nuts. We have the highest environmental standards on the planet, and they want to outsource it to our enemies, many of whom are terrorist nations who don't give a damn about their environment. This is a, about as lose, lose, lose policy actions that you can imagine. Well, Senator, thank you so much for calling in. John, always great to be on the program, and thank you for your leadership on so many of these issues. Wow, okay. that was really explosive, John. Oh. in on my phone, we have <laughs> Senator Schumer. Senator, how are you? Senator? Did I get it? Here. So the reception might be bad, but I wanted a good reception or bad reception. You deserve a great happy birthday. You've been my friend for 40 years, and uh, I wish you the best. Have a great one. Well, thank you, Senator, and uh, thank you for wishing me happy birthday. And, for, and a million people are hearing you, and God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you so much. God bless America, and God bless John Katsimatidis and his wonderful family. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Wow. You, you, that is the hottest phone in the country today. I'm telling you, John Katsimatidis. Wow. We, got, we had the majority and the speaker of the house. Yeah, this, yeah we're not fooling around. Guys. Two yes. top guys. And we have the top, uh, the top sure. radio uh, I, host I, and radio I, owner in the country right I, here next I, to me. I, I don't think President Biden's going. I don't know. You never know. Don't count him out. He, I don't even know if he knows what day it is, let alone John Katsimatini's birthday. <laughs> well, joining us now, we have Andrew McCarthy, of course, uh, former assistant U.S. attorney and great prosecutor and great legal analyst. Andy, uh, big news today. Not only is it John Katsimatini's birthday, uh, but boy, uh, the stuff that happened with Peter Navarro that happened. He just got found guilty. Contempt of Congress charges, too. What's your reaction? Well, my, my first 
thing, Rita, is just uh, I'm hoping John is not tired of Irish guys named McCarthy wishing him happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, a double man. it's a double McCarthy birthday. Great. We love that. Thank yeah. you, Andy. <laughs> yeah. Well, our, our standard among the McCarthys for a birthday party is that everybody had a good time and nobody got hurt. So if you can if you can uh, if you can reach that, you'll be fine. Happy birthday, though. Oh, thank uh, you. It looked at, Navarro thing is not uh, surprising. It was kind of the Steve Bannon uh, part two in the sense that it was exactly the same charge. Uh, The judge made the same ruling prior to trial, which basically precluded uh, Navarro's defense that uh, he was relying on what he understood to be an invocation of executive privilege by former President Trump. Uh, And as I said, when Bannon got convicted, I I would say, with respect to Navarro as well, this is one of these cases where the outcome was not in doubt, and the case really begins with the appeal, because what he's going to argue on appeal is that um, he was entitled uh, to rely on the idea that Trump had invoked executive privilege, so he could not willfully have defied the subpoena. And he's also got a little bit more than Bannon had to work with in the sense that he was a White House official at the time that this all went on when, while Bannon was out of the White House. So he's going to argue that as a White House official, uh, he had immunity from a congressional subpoena. We'll have to, I don't have great confidence that that's, uh, uh, that that's going to prevail, but I think he's got a better chance on appeal than he had at trial. Judge Weinberg, you've got a question for Andy McCarthy. Yeah. Andy, you just had this great column which raises real concerns about uh, the weaponization of the Justice Department and the and the blockade of charges <clears throat> against Biden family on influence peddling. And you're talking about what Weiss just pulled, the stunt he just pulled, announcing he's going to do an indictment, but he's going to do it on the gun charges, on the filing on the, of the reports on the gun charges. But everything else can be blockaded, Andy, by a possible loss of uh, ability to prosecute because statute of limitations is lapsing. What do you say about that? Well, I think he's a prosecutor in name only, Judge. I think his whole function here has been to make the case disappear uh, and not for Hunter's benefit. He's on the the Biden Justice Department is protecting the president and they're doing that through his son. As to the indictment, I'll believe it when I see it, because this is, you know, (laughs) the only reason he told us what he told us yesterday is not because he wanted to make that announcement. It's because the judge held his feet to the fire and demanded a status report. So he basically said there's two weeks or three weeks until the statute of limitation runs, and he expects to charge before then. Why don't they get a waiver of the statute, Andy? Why would he give it to them? <laughs> they think that if they're doing, if they're playing fair, wouldn't they say we want a waiver? If they're really prosecuting this case and really investigating, wouldn't they, the Justice Department, say to the defense, we want a waiver? Waive? Well, they could, yes, but they would have done that all along. And my point is that this is the easiest criminal case of all time. It would take about 10 or 15 minutes to indict it in the grand jury, and it's about a one-paragraph indictment. So why do you have to do a why do you have to do a, a a a report to the court? Why don't you just go in and indict the case? It would take a half an hour. Uh, He's had five, five years, years to do it. He hasn't done it. He's right? had five years he to do it. Want to indict the case? Right. Wow, what a testament. We're talking to the former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Andy McCarthy. And Ed Cox, you got a question? Yeah, Andy, Ed Cox, uh, the diversion agreement, the uh, Hunter's lawyers are going to argue that, in fact, that's something that Weiss agreed to and uh, that he can't get out of it. What do you think of that argument? 
Ed, I think he would be on uh, Abby Lowell, who is uh, who is Hunter's lawyer, would be on sound footing with respect to that because I do think that it was that Weiss had every intention of having the diversion agreement be separate from the plea agreement to the tax charges. So the collapse of the latter wouldn't mean that the that you'd have the collapse of the former. The problem is that the Biden defense agreed in that agreement that the probation, the court's probation department would have to sign off on it. And the probation department refused to sign off on it. So I think they're stuck. But Andy, against Richard Weinberg, what about you put in the diversion agreement, you put in the full blown immunity provision. How does that impact this? Well, I think the, the agreement's not complete unless all the conditions, all the major conditions are satisfied and, and everybody agreed that the probation department had to sign off on it. So they haven't. And if there's no deal, there's no deal. Uh, I understand Abby Lowell is doing exactly what I would be doing if I was Hunter's defense lawyer, which is to say uh, the government here is the party to be charged. Uh, they signed the agreement. Weiss's lawyers, you know, Weiss's office signed the agreement and uh, you know, uh, they ought to enforce the immunity provision against them. But I, I do think the court's going to say, unless the probation department signed off on the agreement, there's no deal. And real quick, before we let you go, Andy McCarthy, um, did you see this? That uh, And, John, we talked about sort of the Mayberry issue with Fannie Willis, who's the Fulton County DA. Uh, this whole 14th Amendment thing is incredible because it just came out this Colorado group is now trying to say that the former president of the United States is not qualified under the 14th Amendment, which is the insurrection and rebellion stuff. But it's coming from some small group in Colorado. I mean, are we going to get like 5,000 of these people making this claim now, Andy? Yeah, well, it's really outrageous if you think about it because, uh, and I wrote a column about this a few days ago at National Review, to remind everyone Insurrection is actually a federal crime, and if there had been an insurrection, then we know that Jack Smith would have charged it in the in the January 6th case that the Justice Department spent three years nearly uh, investigating Trump for. They didn't charge it, not because they don't want to, but because they don't have the evidence of it. Could they and charge him now, by the way, Andy? There were grumblings that uh, Jack Smith may come back with more. Yeah, except that, Rita, the Justice Department took the position in connection with 1,100 other cases that Trump was not involved in the violence. You had all these people who went to trial who wanted to say that Trump was a co-conspirator, that, you know, Trump put them up to it, and they weren't allowed to make that defense because the Justice Department took the position that Trump wasn't involved in the violence. So I don't see how they could now, you know, turn and completely do a 180 on that without opening up like hundreds of cases that have already been uh, completed on the Justice Department's assumption that Trump was not involved in the violence. Yeah, no, great points. Andy McCarthy, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we love having you here, and thank you for, uh, most importantly, uh, priorities. Wishing John a happy birthday from the second McCarthy on the show. <laughs> so. My pleasure. Have thank a great you, day. Andrew. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Thanks so much. And uh, when, should we take a break and then we yep, come back? Yep. Yeah. And we've got a whole we've got a great show coming up. Uh, we have Patrick Hendry, of course, with the Police Benevolent Association. We love our men and we women in blue. So Banks, we're so happy uh, with us. the Department of Education. Yeah. And we got Michael Goodwin and Al D'Amato, who and we may have a couple more surprises, too, John. You never know. You right? never know. You never know. Stay with us, everybody. 
common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on John Katsimatidis' great birthday here on Cats and Cosby. Um, and this is also the first day of school. For so many school kids, and there are also a lot of migrant kids in the school system. So there's a lot of complications this year and a lot to take in. And joining us now is the Chancellor of the New York City Department of Education, uh, Chancellor David Banks. Great to have you here on the show, sir. Happy to be here. Did I hear you say it's the cat's birthday today? If it is, happy birthday. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yes. I can't believe I'm getting so old. <laughs> you wiser, better, my friend. Wiser, wiser. He looks great yes. for fifty, doesn't he? Look great. I, I <laughs> first, I first met the chancellor years, years ago when I was running for mayor. I think he was running some what was it, charter schools in Harlem and alternative you, schools, alternative right, schools, and, and in and in the Bronx. And uh, yeah, and you were doing a phenomenal job, and uh, I, I hope it carries forward to uh, uh, our public school system. I appreciate that. Absolutely, we're going to take that work. They weren't charter schools; they were traditional public schools. But we did them together with the organization 100 Black Men. We transformed the lives of lots of young men and uh, continue to do that work. I'm going to try to do that for the whole school system. Well, whatever help you need, we're all here to help you. Thank you. So the big question that a lot of people are calling in on, uh, you know, I believe in immigration and uh, I am pro-immigration. These kids that are coming in and have to go to our schools, some people are are yelling and screaming about – Oh, is anybody checking them and giving them uh, shots? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all, all of our kids have to be vaccinated when they go to school. You know, the kids who already are in, are, are in New York City, um, when they go to school, they get up to 14 days before they uh, before they can be excluded from school just to give them enough time to get their vaccination shot. The kids who are the migrant kids are given 30 days. This is according to state law. So, uh, uh you know, they're just given a couple of extra weeks to get those shots, some of the challenges that they face. But within that first month, they've got to get them just like everybody else has to do theirs within the first two weeks. And uh, and then they're all in the schools. We want to keep everybody safe. We want to make sure all the kids have all their vaccinations. So that's important. I think that a lot of people think that the kids who have been coming as migrants don't have to get shots. And uh, they think that's unfair. That's not the case. They do have to get them. We just give them a couple extra weeks to get it. So why not do it beforehand, though, uh, Mr. Chancellor? Why not Why not do it before they come in? Because, um, obviously, we want to make sure everybody's safe, including them. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a state law. That's not a, something that the chancellor determines. According to state law, all, all families are encouraged to get their kids their vaccinations, uh, but they're given uh, two weeks after the time that you enroll to get it. So so if, if a kid who's been living here and their family's been living here for years uh, shows up on the first day of school, they're not a migrant, they just they, they just go to school. If they don't have their vaccination shots, we do not deny them entry based on state law. Uh, but they're told you got two weeks to get it. And they get it and they, they, there's never been a concern that they, uh, that they will affect other kids and people will get sick. We've never really seen that happen. And they certainly don't think that'll be an issue with the other kids as well. And uh, School Chancellor David Banks, this is Ed Cox, has a question for you. Yes, Chancellor, you have a tremendous signature program and uh, long overdue, and that is introducing high school students to potential jobs they could have after they get out of high school. Could you, should, could you tell us about that? Ed, thank you so much, because I know you and I have had a chance to talk about that a little bit. 
you know, for far too long, I think we've had kids going to school and just doing the routine of going to school. And, and, and for, you know, too often, they don't even know why they're in school. They have no idea how it could, could connect to the business community, potential job opportunities for them. And, uh, and so we've made it very clear uh, through a couple of programs that we have, Future Ready NYC, our Modern Youth Apprenticeship Programs. We've got people like, like Bloomberg and Jamie Dimon and others who stepped up uh, Northwell Health to provide real internship opportunities, paid internships for kids, to let them understand while they're still in high school, these are these various career possibilities for you. And so it gives, it gives their high school experience so much more purpose and relevancy. You know, a lot of times you go into an average class and ask a kid, you know, what they're working on, and they'll tell you, I'm just doing my work. They don't even know why they're in school doing the subjects that they do because it doesn't connect to the real world for them. So these, these programs are meant to make it uh, relevant. And, uh, and we think when kids understand why they're doing it and how it could ultimately lead to a job and a real career for them, you don't have to tell them to show up every day and work hard. They'll do it once they understand the clarity at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the process. That's what we're trying to do. Governor Patterson? Chancellor, uh, you've got about 21 to 22,000, uh, young people who are not from the United States in the system. Autumn, I mean, I don't know how, I don't envy you in this particular situation because many of them don't speak English. And of course, there are a number of teachers that you've already hired in addition to what you already have. But how does, how does this play out as the year goes on? And I see it as a ter- tremendous encumbrance on you and all the people who are officials at uh, the, uh, you know, in the department to try to to grapple with this problem? You, you know, Governor, always good to talk to you. Um, I, I will tell you this. Uh, this is a very large political issue. Uh, so this plays out a little bit above above me. Right. Um, it, 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 it has a, a challenge for us uh, financially. It's a, it's a bit of a, a challenge for us in terms of our overall resources. But when kids show up, uh, our, our mission is to serve all kids, no matter where they come from. In fact, we don't ask kids where they come from. We just uh, we serve kids who are here, period. Um, we've got the requisite number of teachers. We just made a big announcement today with the United Federation of Teachers that uh, we think is also going to help get hundreds more teachers who are currently working in our system who also have a license to teach bilingual or to teach English as a new language. Um, who weren't doing that before because they were tenured with another license. So the new law that, uh, that has gone into effect uh, today immediately allows a teacher who has a backup license as a bilingual educator to use that license if they would like to, if they're offered a position to do that, and they won't lose their tenure uh, in the process. In the past, you would lose your tenure if you did that, and that's the reason why so many chose not to do it. But it's a challenge, but our teachers are meeting that challenge, uh, all across the city. Well, you cut out all the red tape, and that was really what moved it along. And I will tell you, Michael Mogul and the UFT worked really hard to do that. You know, there's always been a lot of challenge with the union and the administration and everything else. But I will tell you, under this mayor and this administration, we've worked really hard to try to eliminate a lot of that contentiousness and to say we've got to find the common ground that's going to help all of our kids, no matter where they come from. New York City is a city of immigrants. Chancellor and Banks, this is the most recent wave. Chancellor Banks, John Katzmatidis, and before uh, uh, we go to a hard break, we have about another minute. Um, sure. uh, I went to Brooklyn Sack High School. 
Uh, we had machine shops. We had, but uh, we had every, every everything around aviation uh, shops. Um, when I ran for mayor in 2013, I pushed vocational, more vocational schools where kids could learn to use their hands. Uh, do we have a program like that? Uh, are we looking forward to something like that? We've got them all over the city, uh, uh, John. We've got them all, all, all over the city. Uh, in fact, we don't talk about them a lot. You know, I, I was out at Aviation High School uh, 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 just last year. We're working on a program out in Southeast Queens, which is going to connect kids to the aviation industry. Um, we've got all these emerging technologies that kids need an opportunity to learn about. You know, I will tell you this, this, this the Korean technical education programs today are not your grandfather's. CTE programs. You know, back then we were doing wood shop and those kinds of things, and we still have some of those. But but with these emerging technologies that we're seeing in this new economy, um, if kids get the skills and the credentials in those places, um, they will come out of high school, even if they don't go to college, and they can step right into and get the a job and, and, get, a job. and get a real job. Absolutely. Yeah, That's what yeah, we yeah, do. I mean, we're doing we, we don't want to teach calculus to kids that uh, should not be learning calculus. Uh, Chancellor Banks, thank you so much. Uh, for coming on, and we 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 should uh, continue our discussion again another day, but we have to go into a break. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Chancellor. And also calling in right now, we have uh, Senator Al D'Amato, uh, the senior New York senator, the former great senator, once a senator, always a senator. And uh, Senator Al, you know, first of all, that it's John Katsimatidi's birthday, most importantly. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy don't 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 put your ginger on you. <laughs> Thank you, Al. Don't quit your ginger. We I, love you. I, I, I sorry I can't be with you tonight. You, you don't want me there. My my son came down with COVID, <laughs> and so I I don't want to um, pass it. I I don't know if I'm going to get it, but oh no well. Sense well, take care of yourself. And I know you wanted to call in to talk about also President Biden, also migrants. Uh, Fill us in. Well, that, let, let me tell you, the, the migrant situation, you see the mayor um, um, uh, screaming, yelling about it. You see Governor Hochul goes down there and Biden doesn't even take the time out, Sleepy Joe, to uh, to, to, to see him. Ten minutes uh, to talk to the mayor. And she comes down there what a disgrace and now you see that hunter's going to be indicted and that's the least of it the gun charges are the least of it they're going to indict him believe me the special counsel now because the heat is on him and they made him special counsel and now he doesn't have to ask for permission and he's going to indict him on tax charges that's going to be the second one i predict Joe Biden does not run for re-election. I'm telling you. And you see some of the latest polls. Nikki Haley beats him by six points, 49-43. And she's just beginning. Watch her. I think she's going to close the gap. Okay. Yeah. By the way, and what, and and um, Senator, what what you're talking about? There was a new poll that just came out that showed that Nikki Haley could beat President Biden. Uh, and that he came up after the poll, which uh, after the last debate. So that was really interesting. He him by six points, 49 to 43. And that's going to push her up in the Republican polls. And rem- remember, 
The Republican polls are nationwide. You got to go state by state. And Iowa and some of the other earlier voting states are not just solid Trump states. They may give him a lead now, but you're going to see more and more of this. I predict two things. Number one, Biden does not run for reelection. He will probably wind up pardoning his son, not only for the gun, the gun thing is nothing, the tax fraud thing is another. So, how, how about Farah, uh, Senator? How about Farah, foreign registration? How about that also? Because that goes right to the president. Oh, it goes right to him. Goes right to him. But but he will definitely pardon his son. He may try to pardon himself, but he will not run. And and if he does, the only person who could lose is Trump. Senator- Any other Republican beats. Beats him. And we have we have Senator Al D'Amato here. Uh, David Patterson, Governor Patterson, you got a question. Senator, uh, I don't agree with you. I think the, that if Biden pardons his son, it destroys yep. him uh, in history. And yeah, and I think that uh, he, he just can't do that. Well, let, let me say this to you. Number one, I don't think he's going to run. Number two, I think. Um, He'll do it to save his son and not worry about, you know, whether it destroys him or not. Number three, he's he's in the country. He's not going to improve in the polls, notwithstanding all this business about we'll advertise, we'll do. That's all nonsense because the situation is getting worse. It's getting worse with the migrants. It's going to get worse with the economy. I have to tell you, he's in trouble and it's only going to deepen. He's looking terrible. He absolutely does. I predict Joe Biden does not run. Well, well thank let's you. write wow. that down. Yep. Uh, thank you, Senator D'Amato, and we'll catch up with you again. Write down the date of my birthday, same time next year, and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll catch you again soon. Thank you, Senator. Happy birthday, John. Thank Enjoy, you. guys. Thank you. Governor Patterson, a great guy. Good talking to you. Thank you. Let's take let's take a break right now, and when we come back, we've got the head of the Police Benevolent Association with us. Boy, is there a lot, John, going on. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Oh. Well, we have all seen just how crazy crime is right now here in the city. Uh, that horrible beatdown that took place in the subway and also just how tough it is for law enforcement right now, I think, our men and women in blue. And joining us now is the new head of the Police Benevolent Association, Patrick Hendry. We're so glad uh, you're here in studio on, on John Katzmatidi's birthday, no less. Yes, uh, I'm truly honored. Happy birthday. Thank John. you. We didn't uh, bring any cake. Oh, it, well, there was some earlier. You're right. It was good cake, by the way. I'm sorry, Pat. We'll give it to you next time. Sorry. I'm truly honored to be the president of the Police Benevolent Association, represent the greatest police officers right here in New York City and throughout the five boroughs. 
It's my true honor. Well, you know what? You are putting up uh, a great fight. You've only been in a little bit of time, and we, you're making a lot of headlines. Because our men and women in blue, I just feel like uh, they need so much more support. Some of this new stuff that just came out about the protests um, and the new sort of regulations, if you will, after 2020, uh, the BLM riots. When I saw that, I thought, we need to have more police, not tell them to back up. Your reaction? Well, that, that decision is out of touch with reality, especially out of touch what happened in 2020. All police officers every day are out protecting uh, protesters, hundreds of protests every single year, and do an amazing job doing it. But what happened in 2020, the reality of what happened, it wasn't just peaceful protest. It was organized. It was organized agitators that caused chaos on our street. I think People forget we had 400 of our police officers that were injured, hit with bricks, bottles, baseball bats, a fire extinguisher. Also, our police vehicles lit on fire. Police vehicles, bricks thrown through the windows. Police officers demonized on the streets, on the sh- on the streets of the city of New York, but wearing the uniform and the shield that every New York City police officer is so proud to wear. That was the reality of what, what happened, and the decision that came down uh, puts police officers' safety, the, our jeopardy at risk when these protests happen, and it puts the safety of the public at risk. What was your reaction when you saw it? They're basically saying no kettling, no sort of uh, grouping, if you will, encircling folks. And also, they're saying you have to send sort of a special response person first, then you have to get approval from a senior officer. It's making your job even more difficult. Uh, what was your reaction when you saw this? Well, it's hard to be a New York City police officer, and this makes it even harder for us to do our job. Uh, it's, you know, real- reality is things happen quick. And when you can call someone, t- how many police officers can be there, what units, what uniform they could wear, uh, that's not reality of what happens. Things happen right away and we need police officers you know there to take action otherwise we're putting police officers uh jeopardy at risk absolutely judge weinberg you've got a question for pat hendry the new head of the police benevolent association i i agree with the the president that he's absolutely correct this is a threat to public safety it's a threat to the officers it's an invitation to chaos you have to move quickly you have to move responsibly you're gonna have real problems here and now they're not signatories. The PBA is, am I correct, uh, Mr. Henry? They're not signatories to this consent decree. This is being shoved down. Everybody else is buying into it. How is that going to work out? Well, that, that's something that our lawyers are looking into, uh, what we can do going here for, going forward. Uh, but right, right now, uh, this decision is, is not good for our police officers and not good for the public. Uh, it, it could cause, uh, dangerous conditions on our street. And, you know, anything can happen at any time. And who could respond and not, you know, not respond? That's what our uh, attorneys this, are figuring out. This was not based. This was not based on reality of what really happened back in 2020. This is a political narrative of the left to try to re-engineer how policing is done. It has nothing to do with keeping the people of the city of New York safe. This is a, a bad idea. 
and it's not comporting with reality. Yeah, I agree. And, and that delay, as both of you are talking about, I, I mean, you can't have a police officer say, well, what, let me think of which criteria this fits. You know better than anybody. You have to respond. You can't, you can't hesitate. Their lives are on the line. And, and what about those that attack New York City police officers? What happened to those cases? Zero. Zero responsibility for those who attacked New York City police officers. Wow. We haven't heard one word and you said about those cases. You said 400. Over 400 police officers injured. And as I said before, hit with baseball bats. We had a wow. police officer that was hit with a fire extinguisher. Uh, RMPs, our police vehicles, lit on fire. That was the reality of what was going on at the time. And Governor Patterson, you've got a question. For- you know, Mr. President, I was shocked. And what went on in 2020, because I've gone on a lot of these protest marches myself over the years, over celebrated incidents that occurred in the city, and it uh, caused people to want to march and and protest what happened. But in in those previous marches, and I go back with these marches to the 80s, there were really no uh, dust-ups between the marchers and the police. In 2020, in the original marches, you saw this element presenting itself that was violent that was uh, antagonistic and 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 the number of of injuries is 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 shocking david they were geared up for combat if you looked at some of those people and the president is correct they came in they were outside agitators they came in, they came in with with weapons and gear to protect themselves. And this the, was not an ordinary demonstration. You're right, Your Honor. And the worst thing about outside agitators is they're very good at getting people who are kind of frustrated and they're in this march, but they're very good in, in driving them even over the edge, like that mob mentality that you see where a whole lot of people start getting killed. Yeah, that riling up. You know, I want to ask you, uh, Mr. President, too, Pat Hendry of the PBA, about the issue with the gang database, too. Because there's this new gang database. We know, of course, that uh, civil liberties groups are saying, no, it's targeting uh, particular ethnic groups. But talk about the importance of having a gang database. You need information. Your officers need information out there, especially to know who has a history. We're seeing so many of your great men and women in blue arresting people, and they're right back out on the streets. And here you're trying to keep a record of it, and you guys are coming under basically scrutiny for it. Yeah, our police officers, like you just said, police officers are doing their jobs every single day on the streets of the city of New York. We're making the arrest. We're doing our jobs. But our criminal justice system is broken. Uh, they're being arrested criminals. They're coming out the same day. Uh, they're coming out the next day. And there's no consequences for when our police officers do their jobs on the street. And there's many, many reasons for it, as we know, uh, from bail reform, from a lack of prosecution, by our DA's office across this city. Also, uh, you know, they emptied the jails uh, after COVID, uh, decriminalization of low-level crimes. Uh, all this has added up to the chaos on the streets. We had uh, some retired uh, police officers on the last few days, uh, and uh, because you can't get current police officers to tell them. And they said that right now the reason statistics are down and the rests are down, is the fact that there's a lot of police officers that don't want to make arrests because they're, they're scared for their own uh, uh, their own safety. They're scared for their own, uh, that they're going to be retaliated against. Uh, so that's why the real reason that arrests are down is that. Well, 
Again, police officers are doing their yeah. jobs on the street. But over the last couple of years, as you know, there was many laws that came down that make it harder for our police officers to do their job, including uh, the diaphragm bill, uh, which if a police officer uh, puts his knee on the back, which anywhere from the shoulders down to the waist that compresses the diaphragm, they could be arrested for an A misdemeanor. That's the reality of being a police officer on the streets of the city of New York. New York. You do your job, and you could be arrested for you doing your and job. And lose your pension. Wow. And lose your pension. And then also... So that's why you're arrested now? And then we have... Well, there are many reasons. We have oversights like the Civilian Complaint Review Board, who's railroading the careers of hardworking police officers. It's filled with anti-cop uh, investigators that their sole... A goal is basically to defund the police in a different way. There's no doubt about it. So our police officers are going out. We're doing our jobs. We're being asked to do more with less, with less police officers on the street. Right now, there are definitely less police officers on the street. Uh, right now, we have about 22,000 police officers. In the highest times I remember, we had 27, 28,000 police officers on the jobs. So our police officers are asked to do more with less with the environment uh, where they're asked to do more, but it's hard to do more in the environment that we're in. Wow. Uh, Mr. President, uh, we have uh, a minute left before we have to take a hard break. Uh, what would you like to tell the people of the city of New York? Because I was on Fox this morning, and I said that, uh, you know, we owned uh, Gristini's and we owned D'Agostino stores, and we used to be open to midnight. Our workers don't want to work to midnight. Our stores are scared to work at midnight. Our customers are scared to walk around to go to the stores at midnight. Our restaurants used to be open to midnight, the restaurants in, in our city. And people are scared to walk around. What do we do? Well, our police officers are out there to help. They're always going to be there for you. Uh, we are there for you. We just need the support. We need to fix the criminal justice system throughout the city and state and support police officers so we can protect the people of this city because we are going to protect you. We are there for you, but we need the help from our elected leaders across the state. Well, we love and appreciate you. And, Mr. President, we support every person in this studio right now, support you 110%, and we want you to come back, and we'll have another discussion because, you know, in 10 weeks, no, eight weeks, 51 out of 51 city council seats are up. And what I've said loudly, that I don't care. Uh, I am pro-common-sense Democrats. I am pro-common-sense Republicans. I just want common sense to prevail. And the only way we got a, a million people listening out there, the only way we're going to make changes, the only way, is that more than 17%, the last election, 17% showed up. <coughs> Excuse me. We need more than 17% to show up and to make a change and to have more common sense city councilmen. Governor, you want to say anything? Or uh, Ed Cox? or uh, real, real quick, Ev. <laughs> uh, I just want to thank the president, wish him well. Um, I've always tried to work with the union, and um, there's some real serious problems out now, and Things were over the top one way, and now they've gone over the top the other way, and we've got to even things out. Bravo. Uh, PBA President 
Patrick Henry, thank you so much. Uh, we are so, so much thrilled you're me. here, and and we're thank so you, happy Governor. that you're at the helm of thank the PBA, Patrick. Thank you. Thank great, you. great job with thank what you. you're doing. Thank and you so much. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Happy and birthday. Before we thank go to a break, John, uh, we have a little a little more. We have America's Mayor Rudy Giuliani calling in to wish you happy birthday, John Katzmatini's. Go ahead, Rudy. John. Thank you, Rudy, and, uh, and thank you. Congratulations, Mr. President. You've got a big job ahead of you. If you ever need any help, you can count on me. Thank you, sir. And uh, Rudy, I uh, hope you raise a million dollars tonight, maybe two million. Well, we're getting there. I think we're. I think we're at that first one at least. All right. Good. Sounds good. Well deserved. Right. Rudy, thank you very much for calling in. Thank you. And thank you. God bless you. God bless, God thank bless you. you, John, for what you're doing for America. You and Margo. Unbelievable. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Patrick Henry, thank you so much for being with us, too, again, head of the PBA. Uh, a lot more ahead. We have Michael Goodwin after the break. Stay with us. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. Boy, it has been a fascinating day. And everybody's looking at the polls of Joe Biden. And also, how is the migrant crisis going to affect New York City uh, and beyond? Mayor Eric Adams saying that the asylum seeker crisis, quote, will destroy New York City. We continue in the studio with the greatest judge ever, Judge Richard Weinberg, also former GOP chairman and current GOP chairman, Ed Cox, and also former Governor David Patterson. Uh, Michael Goodwin, the great New York Post columnist, Pulitzer Prize winner. Where do you think we are headed? What a mess this is, the whole migrant crisis. Eric Adams is blaming, though, the madman in Texas. Yeah, good evening, Rita. Um, that's a strange one for Eric Adams to be doing at this stage of the game. I have to say, um, reading what he said uh, today about this, this will destroy the city, it struck me that he sounds and looks like a very lonely man, uh, somebody who's on this island all by himself, uh, and he put himself there. Um, he did not play the situation well at all. He played it like an exuberant rookie. Um, he didn't, you know, he never gets anything from the people uh, like the mayor or like the governor, like the president. He does. He hasn't used Chuck Schumer. He hasn't used Hakeem Jeffries. He seems not to be up to the game that where you have to put pressure on the people who can help you. He put no pressure on Kathy Hochul uh, on the criminal justice issues during the uh, the election season when when she needed him, he's gotten nothing from the Albany about the school system. I mean, it's just been one sort of failure after another. And they're all Democrats. It's all within the, the party. Uh, and so here we are with this great mess on our hands. And Eric Adams walked into it. He said, bring them on. He actually helped bring many of them from El Paso, Texas. And, and you know what? You know what? He also um, and we just got a number, too, that I think that's been one hundred and ten thousand migrants coming to New York City. 13,000 have been shipped from Governor Abbott of Texas, so that's 12%. Uh, I did do pretty well in math, by the way, Ed Cox. <laughs> yeah. He's looking at me. He's impressed. So I got to take – Good I, going. Good yeah, going. I ended up in yeah. broadcasting, but I did do well but, in math. Uh, Michael, Ed Cox, the – 
if there's any real attraction, it's the right to shelter. We're the only city in the United States that has a right to shelter. Has he done anything about it or challenged it in an effective way? It clearly should not well, apply here. It's a 19, early 80s consent decree. That's it. Well, that's right. And it, it was about people who didn't, um, um, you know, have a place to go. When people come to the city, I mean, there's got to be some waiting period. There's got to be something. And to your question, Ned, no, I don't believe he's effectively challenged it. I, I believe Eric Adams' heart and head are generally in the right place, but he doesn't seem to have a real administration behind him. Yep, there, I, doesn't seem, there doesn't seem to be any follow-through. Where's the Corporation Council? Where are the deputy mayors? Exactly. Yeah, where, where, where is the administration? Michael, All we see is the mayor talking. Michael, it's, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. He can do two things. I've talked to Rudy Giuliani about this. One, Rudy said he would just ignore it. And in fact, he did when he was mayor. Or two, if you don't want to ignore it, then you go in and you to court and you make an application to have it modified because it's a change of circumstances. Because you're absolutely correct, Michael. It never was intended to deal with this kind of situation. And, Michael, we just have a few seconds left real quick. Well, look, I I, I think this is an example of how the mayor, uh, he needs to put the pressure on those who can help him, the governor and the president, and he needs to keep banging away until he gets the help he needs. You know, yeah, absolutely. real quick. uh, uh, Someone once told me when I was governor, one person can't run a state by themselves, but ten people can. (laughs) <laughs> That's a good motto. That's a good motto. Well, we'll take all the help we can get right now. Uh, thank you so much, Michael Goodwin. We love you. We appreciate you. And everybody, what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. way. Happy and birthday, happy birthday, birthday to John Katz. <laughs> <laughs>